Well, good morning, and it's a joy to be back in Kerrang after a little while. And I want to bring greetings to you from your previous pastor, Pastor Bob. Um, although he's gone to the Churches of Christ, he's still uh, in connection with me. Um, he will ring me, or I will ring him just to see how he's going, and he'll go, well, hi, boss. Um, so the relationship that Bob and I have, in many ways, he's like a spiritual son. And, and so I'll be catching up with him next week again just to see how he's going and where he's at. And uh, he's a man that has been greatly blessed, and I know he, how much he's loved his time here. And uh, Michael, it's a joy to catch up with you. I remember meeting you and having coffee with you, yes, and talking through the issue of staying or not staying. Um, that, there was a confession time he had to go through at that point of time, and we prayed into his life. Um, but it's a joy to see the way the Lord is actually leading you at this particular point of time into a new season, a new opportunity. And I'm really uh, encouraged to, just to hear what God is actually up to in your life. Uh, he's full of surprises, and he's full of surprises for each one of us. Uh, I also want to bring greetings to you from your fellow Baptists. You're part of a bigger family. And uh, so many people uh, from various walks of life are gathering together today right across this state. Um, and you're just part of a bigger family. And so they bring their greetings. Uh, I bring their greetings to you on their behalf. This passage of scripture has been speaking to me for a very, very long time. I've been crying out for revival for this land for an awful long time. So much so that at one particular point of time, I had the opportunity to go and experience revival when I had the opportunity to go and visit the Solomon Islands. The Solomon Islands, up, at, uh, up until that particular point of time, had been journeying through revival for about 24 years. It was one of the longest periods of revival in history and the impact that it had been making. And I had the opportunity, along with a group of other pastors, to go and visit Solomon Islands to experience revival. I wanted a touch. I wanted a, a, a taste because I was hungry to see God do something bigger than I anticipated and bigger than I was imagining at this particular point of time in my life and my ministry. I believed that God wanted to do so much more than I was personally experiencing. And so I had the opportunity to go and visit and get a, a taster. And while I was there, God actually spoke into my life. And he said, you will see it, but you won't necessarily fully experience it until you're back in your homeland. Now, although I have an Irish accent, Australia is my homeland. And Australia hasn't fully experienced a revival yet. It's had samples here and there where God has been doing certain things at certain times and people have tasted God's richness. And I'm conscious that even in this congregation, there are people who've had tasters of what God can do. But... You see, the whole aspect of revival is the transformation of a whole community. When we read the histories of revival, we can actually recognize that it's not about the individual. It's about the community because God's desire is to save and to rescue and to transform the community such that it reflects the glory of God. 
That's what I pray for Kerrang. That it's not just a group of people here who are able to sing the praises and glory of God and then move out of this building which reflects the presence of God. And I appreciate, Tanya, the way that you've been able to lead us and uh, use the songs that have been um, expressed. They're more than songs. They're a prayer. They're a desire to see the richness and the glory of God come so that I can take it out of this building and go into the places of where I live and where I work and where I operate because I am called the salt of the earth. I am called the light of the world because that is who you are. In the school, in the workplace, you and I are called to bring transformation. And yet so many of us are quiet. It's personal. It's private. But when revival comes, it transforms your life that you get so excited that you don't care. Because it's not about you. It's about him. And his glory will fill the whole earth. Isn't that what the scriptures tell us? But it starts with you and I. Do you cry for revival? Do you cry for that God coming and breathing his spirit into your life that you just know that you're on fire for God? And it doesn't matter. When we think of revival, the aspect of it is a process of decisions that enable blessings. And all of us want to see blessings. I know that as I've talked to various people at various times talking about revival, they always look at the outcome of revival. And everybody wants the outcome. Because it's blessing. But are they willing to journey through the process to achieve the outcome? Are they willing to journey through the pain and the journey of understanding what it is that's happening, that their lives are brought right with God, that their lives then reflect the nature and character of God so much so that they become a means of blessing into their homes, into their families, into their workplaces, that the glory of God will come. Oh, we want the outcome. But it begins by willing to go through the process. Are you willing to journey through the process to take that journey? You and I are going to look at this psalm because there's four clear steps of understanding how to come to that outcome when we look at this particular passage of Scripture. As we look at it, we need to understand where was the writer at this particular point of time when he wrote this. It's understood that people are have different opinion of when this actually was written. But I, I have the sense that it was written after the dispersion of the people of Israel and there was the return back to Jerusalem. And as they, as they were gathering together and as they were on their routines of daily living, which would have been reflecting upon every day, they would have spoken the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as your strength, which Jesus brought in. And then he talks about certain characteristics. The aspect of listening to God is critical. And there was this prayer that was going on that ultimately this prayer is answered when Jesus comes. Literally. He had to continue to wait. But it was answered when Jesus comes, when you look and understand the reality of what's taking place. And so as we look at this, we see, first of all, there is this delightful memory that is, he recalls as he's reflecting on, on life. And he starts off with what the Lord has actually done in the past. Now, you and I, who are students of history, can actually recall exciting times when we look at particular issues or times throughout your life. There may have been, particularly you older ones, there would have been a time where church was exciting. Church was thriving. Church was full of people. And the impact that the church was having on the community was exciting. And you're going, I remember that. I remember the things that the church used to do. You may recall, as I can, although not as old as some of you, but where was the sporting arrangements going on in the community? They were all arranged by the church. The tennis teams. Most of a lot of Baptist churches and even other churches had tennis courts, football teams, cricket teams, basketball teams. All of the social enterprise was around the things that were happening in and through the life of the church. And some of you can actually recall those times when things were happening. If you belong to another church other than a Baptist church, you probably would have been part of the, uh, one of the churches that were able to hold dances. And that's where people met and, and gathered and communicated together. There was this sense of memories because the church wasn't only with the gathered community on the Sunday. It was the gathered people wherever in the sporting places, in the workplaces. And you're, you can recall these sorts of things. And the psalmist, as he's writing this, he's, he's recalling all of that the Lord has done. He talks about, you showed favor. In these first few verses, it says, you showed favor to your land. There was great things that was going on that you were doing in their land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. They were all taken away. But now he's reflecting upon the times that God has actually restored all the things that he promised he would give to them. And, and he's recognizing that we've lost them again. But you did these things in the past. You forgave the iniquity of your people and you covered all their sins. You set aside the wrath and you turned from your fierce anger. There was this reflecting back upon a delightful memory. I wonder about you. What delightful memory do you have of maybe God doing certain things at certain times in your lifetime? God doing certain things in maybe as you've been reading and you've reflected upon the things that happened in revival times in Wales in 1904? 
Or maybe it was in the revival times that were happened in the state or revival times that happened in Scotland in the New Hebrides or maybe revival times that happened in the Solomon Islands. There's these memories that are flooding into each of our minds and they're delightful things and you're saying, Lord, I can recall how you did these things. When you read the scriptures, do you read it with imagination and understanding that this is reality of what God had been doing and wants to continue to do in people's lives? And you're saying, where is it? I want it. I'm not satisfied with life as it is today. Are you in this congregation and the church around our nation, are you so, just so satisfied with the status quo that you just go through life as, well, that's just the way it is. I, for one, am not satisfied. I'm saying, come and do it again. Come and do it again, God. And in this delightful memory, we see the reflection of better times, a reflection of knowing God's presence and knowing God's power and knowing God's grace and God's forgiveness, God's smile and God's grace being poured out at various times. As Paul reflected, he and I pastored churches in, in, um, in Geelong. Prior to me coming to, to Geelong, Geelong had actually gone through a couple of particular seasons, one of which was called Joy Over Geelong. Now, as Paul and I reflect upon Joy Over Geelong, there was churches working together. There was a massive move of God's Spirit touching the lives and impacting the people, and the gospel was being proclaimed, and people were coming to faith, and the joy of the Lord just was welling up in the place, and people couldn't get enough of it. You remember that. There was other things that were taking place and then it died out. I came towards the end of that and I, was, I came into that situation and I recognized God was doing something and I wanted to be part of it. You see, God had been doing something in my ministry in Queensland and then it came to a, an abrupt end because the enemy, his whole mission is to still kill and destroy. And so he he moved me out, and a lot of the pastors that were in a particular area where I was ministering, the enemy took out in various forms. And so we came down to, down to Geelong, and we sensed that God was doing something, and we got engaged with it. But then it fizzed. It died. And I am so hungry. For it to happen again. So hungry. I am not satisfied. And so, not only is there this sense of a delightful memory, but there is what we call a desperate prayer. There is this sense of a pleading prayer for God to do what He's done before. It's a time of holy discontent. I'm not satisfied with where my life is at in relationship to God. I'm not satisfied with all I understand. As I read the scriptures, I'm, I'm, I'm not satisfied that I'm experiencing all that God has for me. You know, when I look at passages of scripture that says, Now unto him who's able to do immeasurably more than I think or imagine, and I've got a great imagination, I'm going, It's not happening. 
I want more of you, God. I want more of what you're able to do in my life and through my life. I want my life to make a difference. I want to see transformation. I want to see revival. And so he cries out. And in these next few verses, he, he's pleading with God. He's down on his face with God. And he says, restore us again. He knows he's out of relationship. He knows that things aren't where they should be. In this congregation, you're very much aware. I'm part of, we have rallies in this church. And my son and his daughter have been separated for seven, eight months. It's been painful, hasn't it, Don? We've all experienced the pain of the separation. And the misunderstandings and everything that is associated with breakup and breakdown. And sometimes it's easier to just say, go your separate ways. But what's God want to do? He wants to restore. He wants to heal. He wants to bring blessing into it. And not that we live upon a curse. Restore. And that's the prayer. Restore, oh God. My Savior, please. Over the next couple of weeks, Josh and Rachel are in the process of reconnecting. Isn't that good news? There is the sense of being restored, but it's been painful for all of us as we've journeyed through in support as we've journeyed through the misunderstandings, as we've journeyed through all the impacts that this has upon three kids, a husband, a a wife, a son, a daughter-in-law. It's been painful. And we've had to journey through that. And if God is able to bring restoration into this kind of context, what is he able to do in the church? It's his desire. <laughs> Bring restoration, oh God. But for you to have want restoration, you need to recognize that we're not in the place where we need to be. Things aren't the way they should be. And yet in some marriages, in some families, in some churches, we just get on, oh, that's just the way she is. That's not good enough. That is really not good enough. That we make excuses for people's behavior. It's not good enough. Because I believe the gospel that when a person is born again, they take on a different nature. They take on a different DNA. They take on the DNA of Jesus. And therefore their character and the way that they live will operate in light of who Jesus is. And I believe the church has been operating out of the old nature and not out of the new nature. Because if they operate out of the new nature... They will see, the community will see Jesus because the church is the body of Christ. Restore us, O God, to who we're meant to be, that we will live out our new nature, that we will live out of our identity and being one with Jesus. Do you want it? You've got to recognize you're out of context. Oh, I'm okay. No, I'm not. Not only do we see this plead, but we also recognize, and I've just turned it off. 
you want to turn me on? <laughs> uh, okay, we'll go through this quickly. Don't. Got it. Delight for prayer. Here we go. Restore us again. Put away your displeasure. There's this sense of not being, knowing that God's not really pleased with us. We recognize that things aren't quite right, and we say, put away your displeasure. Not only put away your displeasure, but revive us. Breathe your spirit into us that I will come to life again. I want my life to just bear fruit for your kingdom. I want to not be a smoldering coal. I want to be a burning bushfire for you, Jesus. Come, come breathe your spirit into my life that my life will just be so contagious that others will be captured by the presence of Jesus. Come, come and revive me, O God. The aspect here is not to be drawing attention to individuals, but the aspect of drawing attention. I need you. I desperately need you. I need you to come and invigorate my life again and show us your unfailing love. When we are not experiencing God's love, we walk in fear, and we look at ways by which we can control our own life. But when the love of God comes, Nothing can stop us because there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. And there's many of you here this morning that may be living and operating out of fear. I wonder what they'll think. I wonder what will happen. The anxious thoughts that come and flood our hearts and minds because of the insecurities with what took place in COVID. You know, COVID was the greatest gift to the church It got God out of the building. God doesn't live in the building. And we are so keen to get him back into the building. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, when at the point of his death, the curtain in the temple was torn. You know what they did the next week? They sewed it back up. They literally sowed the presence because that's where God was saying, let me out of here, let me out of here, let me into the community. A number of weeks later, we have Pentecost. God got out of the building. He wasn't operating in the building. He was operating in the people because the people are the people of God. The presence of God was in the people, so much so that 3,000 people came to Christ that day and were baptized and became part of the body of Christ. Come and show us your unfailing love, Lord. Come. And do that. Grant us your salvation, it says. You know, salvation is not just a ticket to heaven. Are you saved? Have you got your ticket to heaven? That's not what it's about. Salvation is about the salvation of the whole personality. Salvation is about renewing and aligning oneself to be in line with what God's intention is and was. It's about living a life It's saving my mind so that my mind is focused on what things of God is. It's saving my life in light of walking in the ways that God wants me to live. It's 
Yes, the ultimate thing is to be living in the presence of Jesus forever and ever, but the salvation means that I've experienced God's grace and it's being lived out from day to day to day to day that others are saying, I want what they've got. I want, you've got something. You seem to, life seems to be in order. You know, these past few weeks, past couple of weeks, one of the, I've been missing something very much, but God has been answering a particular prayer because I have an evangelist gift. <laughs> I just love talking about Jesus in this particular role. I can do it in church, and it's not an issue. But leading people to Christ is the greatest joy of my life. There is no greater joy than to see someone who doesn't fully understand the gospel and for the gospel to be explained and their eyes to be open and they say, yes, (laughs) yes. The other day, I had the joy in a coffee shop to sit down with someone who invited me into a conversation because of where their life was at and their life was a mess was literally a mess. And he invited me into a conversation. And I began to ask certain questions and began to do a little bit of research and understanding where he was coming from and what was happening in his life. And then I showed the gospel. And the gospel is good news. (laughs) And he came and he opened his life to Jesus. So much so that somebody who he went and told sent me a text. It was the greatest two hours of his life. Because now he's met Jesus. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the reality is, I want to see more of this. I'm not satisfied with one. I want more. I want revival to come. And I'm praying for it. And I recognize, God, I need you. I need you. I can't do this life on my own. And so there's this pleading, pleading prayer. Well, it doesn't end there. The passage of Scripture goes on and talks about a deliberate decision. This is an intentional choice to respond to God. And he says this. I will listen. Doesn't matter what anybody else is saying or doing, but I'm going to listen. Now, interesting what this word listen is. It is based upon the recall of the Shema, because the word in Hebrew for listen is Shema. Okay, when Hebrew people talk about the Shema, they all automatically go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is in this one, chapter 6, verse 3. It is hearing and doing what God says and trusting and obeying. It's not just intellectually hearing. You know, as those of you who are teachers, you're going, are you listening to me? Are you, are you hearing me? Those of you who are not teachers, you do it as parents. They all ask their mom and mom or dad will come. Are you listening to me? Johnny, do you hear me? And so then we start yelling it a little bit louder as though Johnny is deaf. The aspect of reflecting listening is obedience. The aspect of doing 
And when it talks about the Shema, it talks about, I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I will implement what you tell me, God, and I will apply it to my life. I'm making a choice, God, to listen. Are you listening? Do you hear what God is actually saying? He said to his disciples these words, If you love me, you will go to church. Is that what he said? No. If you love me, you will do what I tell you. He said this, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. The love that he's talking about here is the agape love. I will continue to love you even though you don't love me. I will continue to love and I will pour my love into you so that you can receive my love. But in receiving my love, you can give my love away because you have no idea how to love unless you've been loved. You have no idea how to forgive, and you won't forgive unless you've experienced forgiveness. To understand this concept is saying, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to receive everything from you, O God, in order that I can take hold of everything that you've given to me and everything that you've said to me, and I want to apply it into my life because I want to see revival. And revival begins in the individual. I will Listen, Grand Baptist Church, are you listening? Maybe church isn't happening the way you think it should be because it didn't happen the way back in the 70s. COVID's come. God's got out of the building. We do new things. New wine is coming. Are you opening to the, to the new wine and the new, new way of what God's up to and doing? Be open and receptive to him because he's doing a new thing. And he doesn't fit in the old wineskins. So don't try and put God back in the building. Or conjure in your mind how you think God should operate in the way he does things. Because he has moved on. He's consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we like to be in control. But when we set up the way we do things and how we do things, we actually set up idols. And that's what happened when I went to the Solomon Islands. You see, for a number of times, they recognized the Spirit of God moved at certain periods of time when they sang certain songs or certain words that were spoken. And it wasn't happening. (laughs) It wasn't happening the way that they anticipated. And they were confused. But what had taken place is that they'd set up an idol of this is how we do it. This is how we have a relationship with God. And so they went through the motions of doing the rote and doing all the things that they'd been so used to before that they'd turned their eyes off Jesus and put their eyes on the program. Put it on the way, the agenda. Oh, that's, that's not on the agenda. The element is God's got a different agenda. And God's doing a new thing. And he wants to pour out revival, but he can only do it if you listen. And you're attentive. 
to what he wants to do. Because what does he want to do? He wants to bring peace. That's what the scriptures tell us. He promises peace to his people, his saints. But they only experience peace if they listen and they obey and they carry out what his instructions are doing and saying. Maybe you're like Peter in the boat and there's a storm going on in your life. But he now wants to come and he wants to speak peace into your life. But he needs you to cry out to him, help. Help. Help me. I can't do this on my own. I remember when I was at college, uh, in my third year, I came to a place in my life where the Christian life was just too, and I was in pastoral ministry, and the Christian life was just too tough, and I said, I'm giving it up. I'm giving up college, I'm giving up pastoral ministry, and I'm giving up Christian life. It's just too hard. And God said, good. And he led me to 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, which is my life verse. Which says this, faithful is he who called you, and he will do it. Who'd been trying to live this Christian life? Who'd been trying to do all these things? Who'd been trying? I had. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was frustrated. I was angry. And God come and said, now I can do something with you. Because it's not about you, Graham. It's about me. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, work out what God put in. (laughs) I put the salvation in, I live it out, work it out. But we try to work for our salvation to get the approval and then take of God instead of recognizing what God has done and allowing that work to be worked out and to be revealed and to be expressed so that others, what have you got? I want what you've got. That's revival. It comes as a result of receiving the peace, a peace that passes all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The very place that your battle is going on. The battle's going on in your mind. Thoughts come into your head. Your battle's going on in your emotions. When you experience and you enter into a situation, you go into it and your, your emotions go ter- oh, havoc and go crazy. And because your emotions have gone crazy, your thoughts go nuts. Or maybe it only happens to Irish people. Probably. Well, I'm sure you'll have to go to confession. Uh, (laughs) You know, you've got emotions when your kids are going nuts. Um, All of us have those sorts of emotions. And then our thoughts go crazy. But then he comes and says, Do not be anxious about anything, but with everything, with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And there's this great exchange. He gives you peace that passes all understanding, that guards your hearts and your minds. The very place that the battle's going on. Oh, breathe your peace into my life, Lord, because my anxious thoughts are going nuts. My emotions are going crazy. Not only that, but he brings the salvation to every area of my life to experience healing and wholeness. And it's just awesome. And then this one here, God's glory. (laughs) You know, he, he talks about it. Uh, he says, salvation, surely salvation in verse 9, salvation is known those who fear him, who trust in him, who, who acknowledge him, that his glory may come and dwell in our land. You and I are the dwelling place of God. 
within us. We are his temple. Therefore, we are supposed to reflect his glory because his glory is inside. But will you let the glory out? (laughs) Will you reveal it so that other people can experience and be drawn to him? That's what the prayer is. But notice that's what he's experienced for himself. But in this verse, and I don't have it in my notes here, but in this verse it says, but let them not turn to folly. The element of the warning here. I'm making a choice to listen to you, God. And I can't make a decision for everybody else, but I'm choosing to listen. But then there's the concern and the issue for everybody else. Don't let them turn to folly. Don't let them turn to the way, because I know what the consequences are. Yeah. We've been in... In, 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 in the places that we don't want to be. And in fact, one of those places in, in Babylon, you know, it's, they're wanting desperately to get back, but God speaks a particular promise to them. And that promise to them was uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. But we don't want it in Babylon. We want it in Jerusalem. He says, no, you're going to have it in Babylon. Whatever your situation and your circumstances, God's glory wants to be revealed where you're at, in your workplace, in your family. Because when we reveal the glory, people are just attracted to it. (laughs) Because it's not about you. It's about him. You got this? It's great stuff, isn't it? Well, as a result of the pleading prayer, or deliberate decision that he makes, then there's the distinguished lifestyle, which is the element of... Living a life that stands out. (laughs) This word distinguished means set apart. Not just fitting in. Most a lot of people who I go around and look at churches, they're like chameleons. They they just fit in and just adapt to everything else that's around them. (laughs) So that what is he? Oh, he he appears to be this. No, well, when I saw them yesterday, they were this. The element is we're not called to be chameleons. We're called to live distinguished lives that stand out from everything that people come and talk about. What is it you've got? The aspect of it's expressed as we see in these passages, in this passage, through love and faithfulness meeting together. The aspect of the, the faithfulness and relationship with God. They're true to their word. Their love is being expressed to one another. It's all about relationships here. The dynamic that is being expressed, the love and the faithfulness meeting together. They don't just talk about it. They actually express it. They actually live it out. And, and that's what the, the, the psalmist is expressing here. But then he goes on and he says righteousness and peace. There, there's this unity that is expressed in, in the way that people are living, that they express peacefulness. It's not just doing the right thing for the, for the sake of peace. But it's actually doing the right thing that creates peace. And sometimes that may be addressing issues that need to be addressed instead of being quiet about them. Because it's all about right way of living. You know, when the exchange took place at the cross, Jesus took my unrighteousness. He took my sin. And what the exchange did then is that we took on his righteousness. We've been clothed in his righteousness. And when you realize the power of the gospel, that when we come to Christ, it's not 
just about getting a ticket to heaven. It's taking on the very nature and the character of who Jesus is as fully loving, as fully righteous, and they are united together. And then we see this, this righteousness prepares the way for God's involvement. The way of living this right way of life individually as a choice and then cooperatively together, we see it actually prepares for what God is about to do. What is it that you need in your life that's going to prepare for future generations that the glory of God may be poured out in abundance? The aspect of being in tune and making sure you're being restored in right fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. Paramount. And that may mean the aspect of the daily habits that you implement into your life, of spending time in his word and allowing his word to guide you and to direct you. My dad, at one point, gave me a key verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He will pave the way for you. And so my responsibility is to trust in him with all my heart. Leave nothing, nothing back. When Jesus comes into our life, his desire is to come and take over every area of our life. And he will come and convict us of areas that have not been put right. Because he's wanting to take our whole life. You know, there's a particular song, come, take over. Come and take over my whole life, my being whether that's your finances, whether it's your sex life, whether it's your work life, whether it is, Lord, you come and take over. You be the boss. It's the right way of living if you're wanting to see a great power out of this board. It's anticipating God's response. In this passage of Scripture, it prepares the way for his steps. The element is that God wants to do great things. The aspect of anticipating the outcome Um, that God is about to impact. He's going to do two things. First of all, he's going to give what is good in these verses because God only gives good gifts to his children. Our Father in heaven only knows how to give good things and he gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live the life that God's called us to do. That's revival. Secondly, we see that he, um, a productive harvest. I love this particular element of the productive harvest. He goes forth. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. The aspect of believing that the investment that you make as a congregation together is going to produce harvest of people coming to faith in Jesus. Amen? The element of believing and trusting that as you get things right with God, God gets things right with you because he says, now I can use you. Now you're ready. And I'm going to give you so much more that this building is not big enough to contain all that I'm about to do in this place. That is revival. That is renewal. And so as we conclude our service today, the element is to experience revival. You need to engage in a delightful memory, a desperate prayer, a distinguished decision, and a, a deliberate decision, and a distinguished lifestyle. As we do this, this is my prayer. Lord, bring revival to this church and this community. Is that what you want?
then you decide, I will listen. I will listen. I will listen. Come, Lord. Let's pray. And as we do, if the band or the group would just come, where we're going to be singing a particular prayer. And may, as we sing this particular song, we want to pr- use it as a prayer that as we go out from here, we know that we've met with Jesus. We know that our lives have been impacted and touched by him. So come, Lord. Lord, we've been eight, opening up your word, and we invite you now to come and take over. You know where each of us are at at this particular point in time. And right now, I pray that you would hear the prayers as people reflect upon that delightful memory, as they now plead with a desperate prayer, and they come and with a deliberate decision, I will listen. Hear the prayer, Lord. And Lord, give them the ability to live out this distinguished lifestyle. Come and take over. Guide us that this church would be filled with your grace and your love and your peace. And so we invite you, God, come and take over, we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to stand together as we sing this beautiful and powerful song.